a little time this morning and uh, we pray that God will just minister to us. It is warm and um, it's going to get a little warmer up here over the next 30 minutes or so. But I encourage us to give our best attention to God and uh, that his word will just minister into our hearts in Jesus' name. I've come with my TD Jake's preparation this morning, so I've got one in that pocket. But I've got one in that pocket as well. So we'll see how we go. We're continuing. This is our last but one message on strengthened from the life of David. And uh, Christian's going to conclude that series next week. And then, as Andy was saying in the notices, we just in, uh, encourage you to sort of, uh, if, if you're around in August, just to really engage with the Sunday ministry, uh, which has been prepared intentionally, we believe, uh, with uh, uh, a real sense of, uh, of just God encouraging us and speaking into us in these days. Um, and so we've been talking about in this year of strengthening, and we thank God that many things have been strengthened this year in the life of the church. Prayer and fasting have been an obvious one. But just our whole sense of reaching out and uh, ministering and uh, believing that God's doing something. So in that year of strengthening, uh, halfway through the year, we just wanted to, com- to again just highlight that sense of strength building our hearts. To reinforce, to bolster, to fortify. And so we talked about being strengthened for a cause. And we realized that David had a heart after God and a head anointed with oil. We need that. Christian reminded us about being strengthened for victory and that the giants can be toppled in Jesus' name. We reminded ourselves through the David and Jonathan story about being strengthened for relationship. And everything flows out of relationship, including our very Christian walk. It's why God sent Jesus to the earth. And last week, Christian again, uh, bringing to us the thought of being strengthened in the process. God is uh, forever at work in his process, will or certainly should bring progress as well, but God is forever at work in us. And sometimes he's not in quite the hurry that some people think that he ought to be. Uh, He's got to sort of do things in our lives. He's got to shape us. Sometimes he's got to test us in certain areas, take us through areas of obscurity. Are we going to do ministry if nobody notices? It's a test. It's an inevitable test because it goes right through the scriptures. And David passed the test. And this morning, uh, I want us uh, uh, just to think for a moment about being strengthened to overcome, and particularly in the area of temptation. I want to read two passages of Scripture this morning very briefly. 2 Samuel chapter 11, if you've got a Bible. 2 Samuel chapter 11. And then I'll read a few verses from Psalm 51. Strengthened for overcoming. In the spring... At the time when the kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army, and they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around the roof of the palace, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man says she is Bathsheba, the daughter of of Elishim, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. Psalm 51, known as a penitential psalm, a psalm of repentance. Verse 10, creating me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not take your presence from me or 
from, do not take me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing heart to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God my Savior and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. Do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. When we do series of, of messages, one of the ideas behind it is that we try not to skirt around some of the difficult, challenging passages. Remember a friend of mine saying some time ago that, uh, she was in a church, and uh, the approach of the particular minister was that um, uh, he would go down to the church every f- Saturday night and get a word from God, and uh, and that was his approach. And I said to her, and he's preaching the same message with a different sort of front on it every week, riding his hobby horses and saying the same thing. She says, "How did you know?" I said, "Well, it's inevitable. If that's what if you're going to if you're going to approach ministry like that, and uh, but the idea of ministry, friends, the idea of rolling out." sort of uh, succinct series is that we try and approach things that it would be easy to skirt around and uh, it's not just the caramels in the chocolate box but it's sometimes the ones that we don't want and uh, this morning I just want us to be encouraged through what is a sad story in the life of David the shepherd boy coming to the king has inspired us and impacted us without doubt but now we come to a chapter that, if I'm honest personally, I sort of wish really wasn't there. But the Bible, the Word of God, with breathtaking, yes, excruciating honesty and candor, records David succumbing and not overcoming temptation. And there's a lesson for us to learn. The nation was riding on the crest of a wave, momentum was strong. Enemy nations were being defeated. The people were favored and felt secure and blessed. David was leading the people. He was trusted. He was respected until that fateful day. It may be, friends, that things have been fermenting in his heart. I don't know. It may be that there have been things stirring that he'd not really dealt with. But forget for a moment the shepherd boy who came into the Uh, into into the uh, uh, room of his father when he was anointed, describing him as uh, ruddy in complexion. Forget, if I can put it uh, uh, bluntly, uh, a youth sowing his wild oats. This is a man in his early 50s that's enjoying great blessing as serve God, who's described in the Acts, our bedrock verses for this series, as a man after God's own heart, who served God's purpose in his generation. But in this instance, when tempted, he failed miserably. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12, so if you think you are standing, take heed or be careful that you do not fall. Whatever the success that he was enjoying, he hit the buffers big time in this particular situation. In 
Samuel, it says that it was springtime. He should have been the king leading the army in battle, but for whatever reason, he stayed at home. Maybe he felt depleted. Maybe he felt tired out. Maybe he felt exhausted. Maybe whatever he felt, friends, whatever was going off in his emotions, but he wasn't leading the army. He'd sent other people to do that. And as the Bible records, and it records it quite graphically, and we didn't read some of that, he stayed at home and one evening looked across the palace roof to see a beautiful woman. And the end result was adultery. The Bible says in Exodus, one of the bedrock laws of God's love that still underpins society today, and we neglect it to our peril that you shall not commit adultery. I'm going to home in on that because this is the particular situation, but I want us to think also in a general sense of how we overcome things that come to our lives that would seek to bring down for. If you read in Matthew chapter 5, you'll realize that Jesus ups the ante regarding what was said in the Old Testament, regarding adultery taking place in our hearts. And he deliberately uses exaggeration, hyperbole, to emphasize how to deal with it. It's a relevant word, friends, because it sits in our 21st century society. And the big lie of the 21st century society is that you can do things like this and there is no cost associated. But friends, the price is always greater than any of us are bargaining for. Proverbs says, in the context of this particular uh, action, can a man scoop fire into his lap without being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? It's a rhetorical question, of course, and the answer is no. You see, out of this uh, 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 seemingly uh, moment of passion, things began to get complicated because there was a pregnancy. There was duplicity to the extent that David manipulated the battle lines so that Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, was killed in the battle. There was dishonesty. And yet it all seemed that they'd all got away with it. But then we get to chapter 12. And you need to realize, friends, that although chapter 12 follows very quickly after chapter 11, 11, 12, 13, nothing's changed, it didn't happen straight away because the baby had now been born. So nine months later, minimally, This little one's in the earth. And the prophet Nathan brings a word to David about a man that had many sheep but takes a little lamb off somebody who only had one to use it for a meal. David says, that's outrageous. That's absolutely out of order. That man deserves to die. And the prophetic word came to David, you are the man. You are the man. But you know, sometimes, friends, there may be things in our lives there may be times where people in this world think they've got away with it. But then there's an errant receipt. There's a text that goes to the wrong person. There's an unexpected visit. And all some things get awfully complicated. Yes, I know that in the soaps that are on our televisions, people conduct themselves like this. It all comes to an end after 9, 12, 15 months. Everybody brushes themselves down and moves on to the next story. And there seems to be no problems at all. That's the problem. That is the problem. Because in one sense, friends, it's totally unreal, but it's trying to influence us into the real. And we must not let it do so. The consequences for David's life were that he came to a terrible season in his journey. Let me just say something about temptation. I've heard Christians say to me, I couldn't help it. In fact, they even blame God. If God God had been around, if God had helped, then, then God should have stopped me doing it. I couldn't help doing what I was doing. It was God's fault. 
Well, let me just address that for a moment. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, God is faithful. And he will never let you or me be tempted above what we're able to bear. And when something comes to us, he will always provide a way to escape from it. Don't blame God, friends, when you refuse to go down the escape hatch. And there's always one there. The answer is, do we want to take it? And then in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, it says, look, we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, that is unable to empathize with us. But he was tried in all points like we are, yet without sin. Here's how Eugene Peterson puts it. Now we know that we have Jesus, the great high priest, with ready access to God. Let's not let, let it slip through our fingers. We don't have a high priest who is out of touch with reality. He's been through weakness and temptation. He's experienced it all, all but the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is ready to give. Take the mercy. Accept the help. The source of temptation, friends, is not God. The Bible says in James chapter 1 and verse 13, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God does not tempt anyone. One of the descriptions of the enemy of our souls, friends, whatever you want to describe him, the devil, Satan, Beelzebub, whatever it is, one of his descriptions amongst many is that he is a tempter. In Genesis chapter 3, he came to bring temptation. And he, he rails against the journey of the Christian believer. And he seeks to come and tempt us, to bring us down. And we need to realize that temptation comes from him. We live in a fallen world. It takes place. But don't blame God for it. God's a God of grace. God says, come to Jesus and get help. And God says, there'll always be an escape route. Got to take it. Here's a few more things about temptation. Temptation itself is not sin. Someone said, temptation is the devil knocking at the door of my heart. Sin is letting him in. You can bolt the door closed. Here's something else. God is tempted. Sorry, God is disappointed when we are tempted. He's not. To be strongly tempted means we are as guilty as if we'd actually done wrong. It does not. And when I am spiritually mature, I will no longer be troubled by temptation, if only. Now, we ought to be dealing with it better, friends. But until we get to glory, until we get to the perfect day, until we get to the day where there's no more sin, crime, or pain or tears. The reality is we face the temptations of this world. We have to deal with that carnal fallen nature that still sometimes runs to go against God and spiritual maturity and being strengthened in our lives means that increasingly we overcome and we don't succumb. So here's three things to think about temptation. Number one, you to expect it. Now, you're not to walk towards it, but you to expect it. And then also, you are to detect it. The antennae of your spirit ought to be working when things come to you that are there to take you away from God. And Christian alluded to a meeting we had earlier this week. And part of that night was uh, uh, expressing to us how this particular leader teaches people to genuinely walk by the Spirit. By the spirit. And walking in the Spirit, friends, or as Galatians says, keeping in step with the Spirit does not mean that you're walking two foot above the ground and sort of in another world from other people. 
But it means that when things are trying to take you astray or take you beyond the line, something begins to arise up in you. It says, I better walk away from this. I better walk away from it. I better walk away. I better leave this party early. I better say bye to those bunch of guys. Whatever they think about me. See you guys. See you in the morning at work. The antennae of the spirit. And some believers, friends, some churches over the years have expected the pastors to be the policemen. They want Christian me to be roving around Derby, Nottingham, Ripley, Codner, Alfreton, late on a Saturday night, seeing what everybody's up to. We're not doing it. Because there's someone far better than us that's capable of doing it. It's the Holy Spirit. He indwells you. And if your genuine prayer is to keep in step with the Spirit, guess what? He'll come again and again and again to ensure that you do. How you respond to it is down to you. It's down to me. So we are to expect it, we are to detect it, and then we are to reject it. You see, the, 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 the coming of temptation to our lives always follows a sequence. And James chapter 1 and verses 14 to 15 give us the sequence. <clears throat> and I want to read these verses just to you. James 1, 14 to 15, it says these words. It says, I'll go to verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged or drawn away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Desire? disobedience, so you've ignored the antennae of your spirit and you've gone and done it anyway, and death. When I mean death there, friends, I mean that we are cut off from something that is the life of God. And we've all been there, defeated and deflated, and felt that we've lost the presence of God. What do you do with that? You spend the next six months allowing the enemy to walk all over your life, to rob you of a passion for worship, to take away the joy of meeting with people on a Sunday. No, the Bible says that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He goes on to say, friends, in the message of 1 John chapter 1, let's avoid being the walking dead. Have you ever tried to lead worship or preach to the walking dead? In other words, there's so much sin in people's lives, it's almost impossible to break through and nobody's dealing with it. That's not the church, friends. The church is full of ordinary people that understand that their fellowship with God is something they must pursue and be passionate about. Let's avoid the walking dead, owning and living faith, yet in defeat. The enemy wills that for every Christian. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. There's many areas, friends, where people get tempted. As we've seen with David, he got tempted morally. Joseph did as well. Joseph passed the test. We can get tempted visually. So Philippians 4, 8 says, whatever things are pure and kind, we're to think on these things. What a test that is. There's barely a day goes by, friends, without people being tested visually. And maybe some of you need to be increasingly accountable in those areas. We get tested verbally in terms of words, think we can speak to people how we like and then move on. 
they need to get over it. No, perhaps you need to say sorry. We get tested in our relationships. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 that bad company corrupts good manners. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't relate to the world, but it means that we influence them, light and soul, not them, us. And of course, we get tested ethically in all sorts of ways, filling in forms correctly, making honest claims and assessments, saying that our yes is yes and our no is no, and so we could go on. This is being a disciple. This is being a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Let's avoid above everything else, friends, being people that are the walking dead. For David, it went awfully wrong, and he had to face some of the consequences. And it may be this morning, friends, that you say, I'm I'm a bit there. I've I've not done what David did, but I feel as I'm a bit of the walking dead. I mean, and I blame God for it. It was all God's fault, and I realized it was me. And I want to encourage us as I bring to a conclusion, friends, the message this morning by saying there's always hope. Christian uh, led us in prayer this morning downstairs in the team meeting on the theme of hope. There's always a way back to God. There's always an opportunity to be restored. There's always the loving arms of the Father that are outstretched. And in Psalm 51, I just want to leave us with three things that reflect a restored life. Three qualities of a life that pursues God. Because Psalm 51 in the context is David pouring out his heart to God in sorrow and anguish and repentance following this adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. He was sorry. Not sorry because he'd just been found out, but sorry because it was wrong. Sorry because he'd gone against the purpose of the Lord. Sorry for whatever reason, that heart that was after God, for whatever reason, straight. Friends, this morning, you know Arena Church, I trust really well, that Arena Church wants people to come to a place of a restored relationship with God. I could drive this down this morning and have everybody crawling under the carpet by the time we'd finish. Feeling so bad about themselves. They think, why did I come to church? That's not the reason for the message. The reason for the message this morning, friends, is there's always hope. There's always an opportunity to get right with God. There's always a place of being restored. There's always a renewed sense of finding fellowship with the Lord. And three qualities of a restored life. Number one, a cleanliness of heart. Creating me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. We've seen in the opening message of this series that God doesn't look on the outward appearance, but he looks upon the heart. And David's desire was to get his heart clean, to come back to being courageous and humble and undivided and steadfast and to be holy after the will of God. The Bible says that out of the heart come the issues of life. If your heart's all gunged up this morning, it's going to affect how you live. It's the engine that drives the vehicle of your life. And if this morning it's all messed up, if you've not put any oil in it for ages, if it's all clanking together, you're not going to live well. Creating me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. I tell you, if that's a real prayer from us, you know what? It's, it's very difficult to sin. It's increasingly difficult to sin when we ask God to give us a clean heart. And you need to guard your heart. And you need to keep it clean. And you need to ask God to keep washing over you. One of the reasons that Sunday church is so important, friends, is because something washes over us. And I've been in ministry a long time now, and I've lost count of the number of people who think they're cleverer than God about Sunday church. We still get them. 
I don't need to come to church to be a Christian. I don't need to come to church to prove that God loves me. I don't need to come to church to worship the Lord. Look at their lives in six, nine, 12 months' time. You see, because when we come together in the house of God, when we're alert, when we're alive, when we're not a sleepy church, something washes over us. We can't always put it into words, but you might have had a foul week at work. You may have had words come to you that were unfair and unjust. You may have had to deal with a difficult decision. You may have had to make a difficult decision. It may be that something at home is, and something begins to happen. It may be, friends, that you've had a problem with sin this week, and you feel a complete failure, and something happens. And I want to say, friends, there are people all around, there are people all around this area, that if they repented tomorrow, every one of the empty chairs in this room would be filled immediately with people with a correct understanding of the power of the house an understanding they need it far more than they realize it has a contribution to enabling us to live with a clean heart not only the cleanliness of heart but also the joyfulness of faith because he said in verse 12 restore to me the joys of my salvation hebrews talks about the pleasures of sin for a season Rick Warren says that all sin starts out as fun. Of course it does. That's what draws you in. Nobody's going to know. I'm bored at home. I'll just have a bit of fun. What's that going to hurt? Until the ripple effect, friends, of people finding out. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. The joy of the Lord, friends, is incredible. The joy of the Lord is an overwhelming gladness that spills up in our hearts. The joy of the Lord, friends, is something that takes us through situations that seem sometimes absolutely incredible. The joy of the Lord, friends, comes when problems seem insurmountable. The joy of the Lord comes when even pain is unbearable. The joy of the Lord comes when people seem so unreasonable. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. The Bible says rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. And joy sometimes is an act of the will. Because happiness seems to be a long way away. But joy is far deeper and greater and wider than simply depending on what is happening. Restore to me, Lord, the joy of my salvation. John Shalburn, uh, now with the Lord many years, built a great church in Lincoln alongside his buddy, John Phillips. My, if there's ever two different people on a team, there you got them, the two Johns. One big, one little. One sort of pulling them in on a Sunday night getting saved, the other one rolling out the words. It was just incredible. And they patterned a team. And they were 30 years in front of their time and lots of people didn't get them. But they established a great apostolic house that in another guise... Still has a thousand people in Lincoln this morning worshipping the Lord and giving God thanks and praise. And John Shelvin used to say this, never get used to being saved. Never get used to being saved. We have people in Arena Church that have been saved just a little time. But we have people in Arena Church that have been saved 10, 20, 30, 40 years. And I want to encourage you today to continue to live in the joy of being saved. We've sang it this morning, friends. We were eternally lost. We were going nowhere in our lives. And Jesus stepped into our lives. And he ne- it's cliched, I know, but if he never did anything else for us, he is worth praising for that forever and ever and ever and ever.
And finally, the third reality of a restored life is a brokenness of spirit. Verse 17. Verse 17 of, of Psalm 51, where the psalmist says these words. He says, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. He goes on to say in the previous verse, you don't delight in sacrifices or I would bring them. You don't take pleasure in burnt offerings. What am I talking about here when I'm talking about a brokenness of spirit? Friends, I don't think that that David was talking here about the brokenness that comes through grief or loss. What a terrible week on our news channels this week as the Malaysian Airlines been blown out of the sky by wicked, evil, cruel men. And even the aftermath still behaving in an utterly repellent and callous way. And to see last night some of those village communities in Holland that have lost two, three, four families. To see that florist shop that put the little note on the door saying, back on August the 8th, never to come back. To see a nation in mourning, broken. Ten Britons, folks going about their life. Two guys wanting to go and watch Newcastle in New Zealand, blown into eternity. 28 Australians. And so we could go on. All stories of ordinary people, brokenness, And God, will you just bless those people today in Jesus' name. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking, friends, about a brokenness of heart that just brings a wanton abandonment and commitment to whatever God wants over our lives. Jim Elliott was an American missionary who went to reach out to the Ecuadorian Inca Indians, late 50s, early 60s. Never reached 30. Martyred for the faith. I'm still talking about him 50 years later. One song says, the blood of the martyrs has made the church strong. And Jim Elliot says this. He says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's the brokenness I'm talking about, friends. We will come to a place of saying, God, whatever it costs, whatever it means to follow you, I'll follow you. I'll follow you. I'm not just going to bring my sacrifices that push back on me, coming to a place of saying, whatever, Lord, I'll follow you. You know the story. David was forgiven. And there were some consequences to live with, which I don't have time to open up this morning. But without doubt, friends, it was a black spot on his rule and his reign. It would have been very easy for me and Christian, as we were plotting this, to say, we'll miss that one out. Not going to get many laughs that morning. But we just felt that we ought to include it. And this morning, friends, we want to strengthen everybody in Arena Church, whether you've been a Christian a few weeks, a few months, or a year or two. Whether you've been a believer and a follower for many years. And in one sense, everything seems to be going great to guard your heart, to watch your life, and to be strengthened in overcoming temptation. Here's something I read, which is a recent survey, 2014, that comes from the States. 88% of Americans believe that adultery is wrong, yet 77% of marriages are involved in at least one adulterous act, 
And 70% of those people are active church members. If tempted, don't. Because the cost is too high, friends. It's too high for everyone. And it's especially too high for you. And I say it carefully this morning, but if you're in a mess, in a relationship, then you need to get out of it now. And come again to the Lord and say, God, I want a cleanliness of heart. I want a joyfulness of faith. I want a brokenness of spirit. It doesn't come from goosebumps on the back of your head. It comes from a commitment of his will. And we pray today as a leadership in Arena Church that we won't have car crashes. That we won't have people in the office crying and weeping because they found out something. But we'll have relationships, friends, that thrive and prosper and go for the long haul in being faithful one to another in Jesus' name. And we've used that because that's particularly what the word of God homes in on. But whatever would come to us today, whatever would rob us of walking close to God, whatever would determine us to push us to a place where on occasions we could be the walking dead, let's turn from it today. Let's realize that greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. Let's forever go down the escape hatch. Let's forever commit ourselves to living in victory. And if we get it wrong, or we've got it wrong, let's put it right quick. By running to a cleanliness of heart, a joyfulness of faith, and a brokenness of spirit. Strengthen us, Lord, not only to come out of issues, but to overcome them in the first place. May the Lord help us.